You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at The Gate. And uh, this morning, we'll be continuing our sermon series through Colossians, which we've titled Complete in Christ. Before, uh, before we do that, I just want to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, I had my Thanksgiving dinner last night, and so I'm feeling a little uh, bloated and tired, yeah. So I've got to work through this. I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> Speaking of giving thanks, though, I am so grateful for this church, for this community, How wonderful it is that we get to gather here week after week and worship together. It's it's amazing. And of course, as we learned last week from Pastor Blair's sermon on being thankful, the, the one eternal and enduring thing which we should all be the most grateful for, that which is the foundation for a gratitude that transcends circumstance, is our salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ. What, what a blessing it is to know him and be known by him. Amen? Amen. But to be fair, e- even that statement in and of itself begs the question, especially in this day and age where truth is relevant and people just want to believe whatever they think they, they want to believe because it works for them or, or whatever. We have to ask that question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And today we're going to attempt to answer that question And this is something that I'm incredibly excited about, especially because the passage we'll be reading through this morning is one of the most profound, descriptive, and powerful poems about Jesus in in the entire Bible, which is itself all about Jesus. So I'm excited for this, and I'll admit that nothing I say this morning will do the passage justice. So make sure that you go home and study it and meditate on it yourself as well. Uh, Since it's so meaningful, it's so powerful. But honestly, even only understanding or, or gleaning just a sliver of what this passage means should make any of us fall on our knees in worship and honor and submission to the one who reigns over all and is all in all. So I'm really excited about this. Let's, let's open up the word to Colossians 1, 15 to 23. If you have your Bibles, Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Set our focus on him. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Colossae. And he says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. I was recently checking out the news this last week on an actual news website, mind you, since we can no longer get updates on social media. I digress. Anyways, I, I noticed one, one of the top headlines of the day, top headlines of the day, which means this news site felt it was important for everyone to know, the supposed credible news site, and it was all about how the sales for a professional football player's jersey had skyrocketed by 400% from 19th in jersey sales, now being in the top five, all in a matter of days. Wow. The, the reason for this jump in sales, some of you have probably heard already, the reason for this jump in sales, the article wrote, was because pop artist Taylor Swift had shown up at a Kansas City Chiefs game cheering for and wearing the jersey number of a guy named Travis Kelsey. I don't care. (laughs) I like um, the real football, known as soccer. Anyways, so yes, just to clarify, just to clarify, just so we're all on the same page here, the primary reason that this football player's jersey sales skyrocketed in a manner of days was because thousands of fans of Taylor Swift, known as Swifties, bought his jersey for themselves. Again, they did it simply because they heard Taylor Swift had shown up at this game and was cheering for him. Not because they're fans of this Travis Kelsey guy or because they're fans of the Kansas City Chiefs and not even because they're fans of American football. Most of them probably weren't before this week or hadn't even watched a football game. No, they did it simply because Taylor Swift did it first. And honestly, if this wasn't so sad, it would be hilarious the, the internet thinks it's hilarious. There's, there's memes everywhere about it now. I mean, if you like her music, okay, whatever. If that's your jam, makes you dance in the kitchen, whatever, fine, right? But liking her music so much that you want to be her, to act like her, to, to think like her, and to be what she's into, to, to follow in her footsteps, that's something else entirely. And what that is, sadly, is straight-up idolatry. It's, it's placing your worship upon, upon someone else or something else besides God 
who you think will make you feel fulfilled and, and complete. And this is just a perfect uh, example of one of the most pervasive issues within our culture and within our lives right now. As Mike Cosper writes, celebrity worship is one of the central religions of our secular age. Celebrities are icons. They embody an image of what we think the good life is, and we aspire to that life for ourselves. So sure, Taylor Swift can write a decent pop song and and perform well, and she's incredibly successful and rich because of it, but how does singing well make her qualified to influence any other part of our lives? It, It doesn't at all. Why do people care what she thinks? Especially because I can say quite confidently that the reality is that she only cares about her Swifties to the extent that they keep her popular. And yet, we place people like her on on pedestals and metaphorically bow down at their feet. And, And we do this not just with celebrities, right? We do this with politicians, we do this with celebrity pastors. Well, they can do no wrong. We, we do this with, with actors. We do this with television personalities. We do this with social media influencers. We do this with rock stars. We, we, we ascribe worth and devotion to these people, thinking that their success and their popularity and their platform must mean that they have it all figured out. So therefore, if we act like them and talk like them and think like them and follow after them, then, then we eventually will too. Like, like if we can just tap into whatever they have, then we'll be whole, then we'll be complete, then we'll taste the joy or satisfaction or fulfillment that they're seemingly exhibiting. But this is exactly what God warns us about in the second commandment. Deuteronomy 5.8 says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make yourself a carved image. At at its core, idolatry is an image problem. Again, we take something that resembles or, or claims to be an image of God, and then we worship it as God. It's revering creation as the creator. It's an attempt to replace God with something else. And and the reason that God commands his people to refrain from doing this in the second commandment isn't, isn't because he's afraid of a little competition. He commands this because there is no competition. That is the point. There is no competition. Nothing in creation can replace or compare to the holy creator. He's the source of all life. He holds all things together. He knows every iota of our very being. He designed us and he knows us. And therefore, anything else that we worship, whether, whether celebrities or ideologies or, or money or entertainment or anything else in creation, is, is pittance in comparison when, when we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we can read that after God spoke the, the earth and all that's in it into being, and he said it was good, and then he created humanity, man and woman, Adam and Eve, to dwell within it, right? And, then, and, and to that end, we can see two specific things. 
that I want to highlight. First, he created humanity in his image. That is, that we as humans were divinely designed to bear the image of the triune God in and to the world, to, to represent him like priests or ambassadors on the earth. And secondly, we can see that one of the most significant aspects of, of what it means to be image bearers of God was that God dwelt with humanity. He was in holy unity and partnership with humanity. So what I'm saying is that the Genesis story shows us what it means to be truly human, which is to be image bearers of God dwelling in unity and glory with him. Sin, of course, broke and distorted this in that it separated mankind from dwelling with God and therefore corrupted both our ability and our desire to, to worship or fully display his image. And this is because sin, at its core, proclaims the opposite of what it means to bear the image of God. Sin, in our hearts, says, I want to make God in my own image. I want to create my own morality. I want to live my own truth. That's what it means to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Saying, I want to create my own God. I want to live my own morality. I want to live my own truth. But again, in contrast to that, we can see in Genesis what it actually means to be fully, truly human. That we were designed and created to be image bearers of God in union with God. So this means then that that when we worship other images, created things that might resemble or claim to be God but aren't God, we're not going to find our true humanity. Was was there natural cultural inclination towards this syncretism and idolatry, this, this idea that adding these other gods to their faith and and worshiping these man-made images would help them find their true selves and garner more blessing or whatever. But but Paul knows that that, that in doing this, by, by combining idolatry to their faith in Jesus, that they wouldn't be adding to or finding their humanity. By doing this, again, they'd be losing their humanity. Especially because the bottom line here is that we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. Psalm 115, 1-8. says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us. Which is amazing in and of itself. Don't, it's, it's not about us. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He, he does all that he pleases. Theirs, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Those who make them or trust in idols become like them. 
we become like what we worship. What do you want to become? Of course, these days in our culture, we don't usually carve up images to, to bow down to, and we usually don't worship at the feet of statues that represent mythical gods. No, but again, we just follow them on social media. Oh yeah, and also in our hearts, which are, as, as John Calvin once stated, idol factories. No, nothing has changed. It might look different, but nothing has changed. Idolatry is still one of the most pervasive and destructive sins in our culture. The serpent is still passing us the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and like Adam and Eve, we're saying, yes, please. But the thing is, the more that we eat of the fruit and worship these images and idols that are carved in our own image, the more we become like them. And that doesn't mean that if you worship Taylor Swift, you'll become a successful pop star. No, behind someone's worship of someone like Taylor Swift is a coveting desire for her lifestyle, success, riches, glamour, popularity, power, worldly beauty, all these things which look shiny on the outside but, but which are in reality empty and unfulfilling on the inside. They do nothing for our souls. And they can also potentially cause anxiety, depression, frustration, and identity issues when we don't achieve those things that we covet. The point is, if you worship that which is unfulfilling, you'll be unsatisfied. If you worship something dead or inanimate, it'll lead to death and isolation. If you worship a broken image of God, like other sinful and flawed humans, you'll remain broken and you'll struggle with your identity, self-worth, and your purpose. If you worship riches or status, you'll become greedy or jealous or burnt out. If you worship self you'll become self-centered and egotistic or miserable and dissatisfied. Probably all of the above. The list goes on. You become like what you worship. What do we want to become? As Tony Ranke writes, our worship and our affections right now are pointers to a future trajectory. Our worship is either aimed at our ruin or our worship is aimed at our restoration. But it is aimed in either case. We are becoming what we worship. And when he says it is aimed in either case, it means we all worship something whether we realize it or not. We're worshiping. We're created to be worshipers. But what are we worshiping? Something that's going to lead to ruin or something that's going to lead to restoration? So the point being here is that if we want to flourish by discovering our true humanity, we should take care in what or who we worship. Does this make sense? Yeah? We need to take care in who or what we worship. That is, in order to, to fully live how we were created to live, we must set our full allegiance, our total allegiance, upon someone who gives life and holds life together. And in order to become completely who we were created to be, we must set our sights and our worship on the one in whose image we were designed to bear. And to that end, there is only one person who deserves all the glory, all of our devotion, all of our unadulterated worship, and all our allegiance. His name is Jesus. As Pastor Chris Price writes, we don't make images of God because Jesus is the ultimate image of God.
Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Let's read that again. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the perfect yet visible image of the invisible God. Not, not created or, or carved to resemble God, but fully God manifested in the flesh. He existed with God since before time, and all of God's fullness dwells in him. He's, he's the word which God the Father spoke the universe in, in life into being. And all things were created for him and by him, and to him, and he holds all things together. He's preeminent or, or supreme over all the church, and he's the first to conquer death, making him not just the only one in whom all things were created through, but now the first among the new creation. He's the way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> Jesus is the perfect image of God. He's God with us. He even, tells us him, he even tells us himself that, that, that when we know him, we know the Father. And then it also says in Hebrews 1 verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And John 1, 1 to 2 and, and verse 18 says, In the beginning was the word... This is about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus is the only complete and revelatory image of God. He's all in all. All authority, all power, all might, all glory, all wisdom, all holiness belongs to him. And yet, he came into creation. He came into our mess, our sinful mess, in order to reveal God the Father for us. But even beyond that, he also came to display for us what it, what it looks like to be truly human. To show us who we were originally created to be before sin wrecked everything. And again, that's dwelling in perfect unity with God the Father as his image bears, representing his glory and his kingdom on the earth. And this is what the Bible means when it calls Jesus the Son of Man. It doesn't just mean he's, he's fully human, born of woman. It means that he's perfectly human. In fact, the, the common, common English Bible translation interprets the phrase Son of Man as the human one. And I love that. Translates it as the human one. 
because he's the only one who represents humanity in its truest and purest form. He is the human one. As theologian N.T. Wright states, from all eternity, Jesus had in his very nature been the image of God, reflecting perfectly the character and life of the Father. It was thus appropriate for him to be the image of God as man. From all eternity, he had held the same relation to the Father that humanity from its creation had been intended to bear. But yet there's more. Beyond revealing the Father to us and being the example of true humanity, so both fully God, fully human, he also then took our place in paying our debt and removing the sin which had separated us from fulfilling our own glorious design and purpose. He reconciled us with God by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And elsewhere it says that through Jesus we're now temples of the Holy Spirit. And in another verse that, that through Jesus we're now a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that we, we may proclaim the praises of him who called us. So because of his love and his grace, Jesus, the word of God, humbly came into creation and died at the cross as our perfect sacrifice, defeating death in his resurrection so that he could restore us to the Father and simultaneously to our holy vocation as his image bearers. As the late Timothy Keller once wrote, the pressure is off for all of us to make a name for ourselves. Jesus has made a name for us already. Therefore, his name is the only name worthy of our worship. He is the perfect image of the Father. He is the perfect image of true humanity. And he is the only image that can know and love and transform and renew and care for those who worship him. And therefore, it's only through worshiping him that we can become who we were completely designed to be. As it says in, the, in, in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, let's read that again. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So once again, we become like what we worship. And Jesus is the complete image of God. And so through Jesus, we're made complete with God. This is, again, this is the good news. This is the the gospel that they have heard, that we have heard. Sin had separated us not only from God, but also distorted our humanity. But through Jesus Christ, God made atonement for our sin and restores humanity so that we can now dwell with God and be his image bearers. Through faith in Jesus, we can be who we were created to be. 
which means that when we bow down and worship to Jesus as our Lord and Savior in every area of our lives, then every area of our lives will start to become transformed into his likeness, into his image. And furthermore, Jesus showed us and taught us what it means to bear his image, which we're going to continue through in our series through Colossians. But, but uh, on this, Pastor Chris Price again writes, If we worship Jesus, we will become more like Jesus. What our world needs is more people who are like Jesus. If more people were like Jesus, friendships would improve, marriages would improve, families would improve, neighborhoods would improve, workplaces would improve, legislation would improve. And poverty would decline, injustice would decline, abuse would decline, hope would increase, love would increase, peace would increase, kindness would increase, faithfulness would increase. One of the greatest gifts the church can give the world is more and more people who are like Jesus. We were not created to worship carved images. We were created to worship the image so that we can be made whole, dwelling with God as his image bears. So that we can influence the world with his presence, with his glory, and with the gospel of the kingdom of God. It would make no sense then to, to distort this glorious purpose by attempting to, to mix our allegiance with anything or anyone else from this world. And this is the point Paul's making. As scholar N.T. Wright again explains, if, if they grasp the outline of this passage, the Colossians who, who had gratefully turned away from their pagan gods and becoming Christians will not be inclined to go back to them. Having Christ, God's true wisdom, the Lord of the world, they possess all they need. All they need. In Jesus. Colossians 2, 9 to 10 agrees, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Christ you have been brought to fullness. You have been made complete. We need nothing and no one else besides Jesus to discover and embrace our true humanity as image bearers of God. So throw out your self-help books. Unfollow those silly celebrities with their airbrushed lives. Put aside your Forbes magazine. Shut off your phones. Turn away from whatever... <laughs> Turn away from whatever false images or idols that you've propped up in your lives. They, they will not save you. They cannot complete you. They cannot rescue you or fully know you or love you. They don't add anything to your faith. They don't add anything to your humanity or your self-worth. They can't even care for you or, or speak to you. So turn from them and lay down your lives and follow Jesus alone. He's all we need because he's all in all. He's our redemption 
and our righteousness. He's the source of life. He's the reigning Lord of lords and King of kings who reconciles us with God the Father, who fills us with his spirit. He's the word in whom all things were created, who redeems creation and in whom all things hold together. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He alone is worthy of our worship because only he alone can make you complete. Just as the heavenly host proclaims before the throne of Christ in Revelation 4.11, on the end of days, which we could be heading towards, it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Jesus is all. Give him your worship. He is the only image 